Father, we, uh, we can't see the invisible world, but we know that it's real. We believe that your spirit is real. And Father, we believe that you hear our prayers when we, when we lift them up to you. Uh, not because we are worthy and not because we have done anything special, but simply because you love us and you've chosen to receive us and adopt us as your children through what Jesus has done for us. So, Father, we bring all these prayer requests before you, and we, we have great confidence that you're going to hear our prayers. And, Father, that you are going to step down into this crazy world with your hands of grace and love, and you're going to, uh, you're going to draw people to yourself. Lord, we want to be used for your kingdom and what you're doing, uh, and I pray that you would um, work in our hearts to surrender all things to your kingdom, that we would give up everything to follow you, and as we learn your word today, I pray that you would uh, give us wisdom and, and perseverance to, to learn these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, who's the Holy Spirit? He's a guy that we need to know about. You hear about him all the time in church, the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes he seems kind of like the force. Like you see on church, they're like bowling the Holy Spirit and knocking people over. And, and I've seen that. It's crazy, I know, it's weird. So some people think he's like the forest, like in Star Wars, like if I get filled with the Spirit, then I have magical powers. Um, and that's, that's not who the Holy Spirit is. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is simply a person. He is a person, and he's got his own will and his own desire, but he is God, he is the Spirit of Jesus. So he's not some weird person. We actually know a lot about the Holy Spirit, because anything that Jesus did... That was the Spirit, and that's how the Spirit would work is the way Jesus or the Father. They're all united perfectly as one. So we are learning about the new covenant, about what Jesus came and did for us when he died on the cross and what he brought to us. And a lot of times we get hung up on words like, like grace or the new covenant, and sometimes it's easier for us to relate to it when we call him by his name, the Holy Spirit. We could call this the Holy Spirit covenant because this isn't just some system that we have devised on how to understand the bible or how to preach this is a guy that we have a relationship with the holy spirit he is a person and and this new covenant is not just a a contract but it's a person that we get so deeply connected with that we are one with him that is the holy spirit so let's start reading. We're going to go through a bunch of scriptures today. We're going to comment on them, but I've given you the notes so that you can hang on to these and you can uh, study it more, more thoroughly on your own. And I do suggest that you go through these scriptures this week and just, just spend some time with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Our first verse says, I will give you a new heart and put a new what? spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my, what? Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Here's an amazing verse about the Holy Spirit. This was a prophecy in the Old Testament written hundreds of years before Christ came about what would happen when Jesus came and what Jesus would gift us when he came, and that is a new heart and a new spirit. Notice Jesus does not have a plan to reform who you are. You are not 
a reformation project. Anyone ever restore an old car? No. Okay. Okay. Not a lot of mechanics in here. Okay. Well, yeah, Dave, you you make new paint jobs on cars, don't you? It's like your thing. Yeah, so your dad has a Hudson Hornet, which is amazing just in and of itself, Mr. Hudson. And um, yeah, restored it, made it look better on the outside. That is not what Jesus does. So it's the opposite of an illustration for us. It's an anti-illustration. Good job. <laughs> he does not reform us. He, he takes out the old heart and he puts in the new heart. So, and then he, look at what that verse says. How many times do you see the words, I will, in that verse? I will give you a new heart. I will take out your heart of flesh. I will put a new spirit in you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments. Who's doing all the stuff in the new covenant? The Holy Spirit. God is doing it through the Holy Spirit, which is God. He is doing it all for us. And what is the result of his work in us? We keep his Ten Commandments. We naturally will do that. How many times do we stress out about our own disobedience? We're like, oh, I, sh- I need to change. I need to be a better person. I need to do, I-, I-, I know I'm not measuring up to his standards, so I need to get down to business, get to church, start reading the Bible and praying, because if I do those things, then I will be doing better I will measure up to his standards. We do that all the time. I do it still. That is our natural default way to be spiritual, but it's wrong. It is just wrong. God will implant his Holy Spirit in us, which causes us to naturally do the things of God, to naturally act like he would act by nature, not by rules. Okay? So, Our obedience is the promise of this Holy Spirit. He is going to make us obey. It's not about us trying harder. It's about us believing this thing, this this love that he gives us called the new covenant. So obedience in the old covenant, if we were talking about that, the 10 rules, that comes from where? Self. It comes from our efforts. Here's a list. This is how hard I'm going to try to keep that list. And the only source I have is me. Whereas obedience in the New Testament comes from the Holy Spirit himself taking over your life and changing what you want, what you desire, what you do. He takes over. That is a good deal. And that is the only way that this new covenant works is being possessed by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at John 6, 53 and 63. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's verse 53. Very strange verse. And then verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus himself, he says, my very life, my my body and my blood and my spirit is the source of life for a believer. He's saying that receiving his life or accepting that is like eating and drinking his body and blood. So a lot of times we have communion available and we say, this is the body and blood of Christ. It is symbolic 
to you saying, I receive, I believe what Jesus has done for me. And this is a spiritual reality because he says here, it's the spirit who gives life. So two people can come up and take communion. And one person is doing it to try to earn God's favor and say, this is the thing I'm supposed to do to do the thing to be the person that I'm supposed to be. And on that person, it's not a spiritual reality and they're not getting the life of God. And then the other person comes right up to the same communion, takes the same bread and the same juice and says, oh, Jesus, I accept that I don't, I can't do this, but I'm going to believe that somehow, some way, you do it for me and you become what I need. And that's the difference between doing things spiritually and doing things out of the flesh. When we accept that the words of Jesus are true, that is believing and that is faith, and we have entered in to all that he has for us. Let's look at Romans 7, 6. If now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the what? Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So when we now are serving God, we've come to believe in God, and now we're supposed to serve God, it's vital that we don't serve God through the oldness of the letter. And what is that referencing? The law. If we're going to serve God, it is not about slapping Ten Commandments across people's faces over and over and over. That is not ministry. That is not serving God. It doesn't work. Hitting people over the heads with the Ten Commandments. Propping them up and say, hey, why don't you just try harder to keep that standard? It does not work. The Spirit is a new way to serve. A new way to serve. The law is not something to fall in love with, but it's something to be de- us to be delivered from. And that's the, the big thing in Christianity is supposed to be about love and falling in love with God, not a set of standards and rules. It is very hard to give the Ten Commandments a hug, isn't it? Maybe if you had like a fluffy version, like a stuffed Ten Commandments, That might be kind of comforting. But Jesus is a real person. The Spirit is truly intimate because he dwells in us. And that's the design of this life, is to be a life of love. When a a person is serving God because they think they have to, it grows old and tiresome. And that's what he says here, the oldness of the letter. Has anyone ever experienced that in the Christian life? Hey, man, I've been serving God and it's just old right now. I'm tired. It doesn't seem new and fresh. In fact, just stale and boring would be the words that I would use to describe my life of serving God. That is not the design. That is not living in the new covenant. Well, what is? The newness of the Spirit. God says we're to serve in the newness where its ministry is flowing out of our hearts We're spending time with Jesus. We're resting in what he has done. And so now, ministry is just flowing out of our hearts. And it's it's somewhat easy. Because we don't have to depend on ourselves to serve God in the Spirit. If you're serving God in the Spirit, who is supposed to do all the work? The Holy Spirit. 
Okay, so let's put this in a real practical example. Let's say you're praying for someone who doesn't believe. Are we going to stress out and are we going to feel this burden that we have to do things to lead them to Christ? Or are we going to humbly come to the Spirit and say, there's no way I could bring salvation to this person. And and we're going to simply call upon him daily, hey, Jesus, Spirit, do this work. Do this work. I'm calling upon you. Do this work. And if God gives us an opportunity, we boldly share the gospel. But again, it's not a burden that, that was like, I have to do this work, but we're sharing the gospel and saying, I've already been praying, and I believe this Holy Spirit is already working in you. So when I share the gospel, it's more like this. Hey, you know how you've been totally feeling led and drawn to the Lord? Let me tell you how to, how to do that. And they're like, how did you know that I've been feeling that? Oh, well, because I prayed for it. I asked God to do that. And they would just be like, what? You know, I have been feeling that. Or they don't, and they don't believe, and it's not your fault. You've been praying. Okay? So just talk and, and live like you believe that it's the Spirit doing the work and not us doing the work. We can have a huge impact in this world when it's not us. When, the opposite of this would be the self-confident, self-sourced life that, that a lot of us get caught up in trying to live, where we're trying to earn God's spirit or God's favor by trying to do more things and be better and and do ministry in our own efforts. It should never be that way. It's an outflow of it. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3.6. It says, Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Our ability to produce ministry in our flesh does not exist. He literally said before, we can't do anything in our flesh. In other words, if you're trying, you're doing it wrong. You cannot do anything for God in the flesh. But in the new covenant, we're made sufficient as ministers or servants of the new covenant. We are called servants of the new covenant or servants of the Holy Spirit. We have to trust him to do the work. We have to. The flesh and the spirit are two opposing sources of life. The flesh can only attempt to keep the letter of the law, and it will always fail even to do that. Whereas the spirit actually gives life. It's a life-giving power. And that's what ministry is supposed to look like, life-giving, life-giving. You know, even, even a church service is supposed to be designed to be a life-giving service. In other words, people shouldn't be saying, when are we going to be getting done? But I can't believe it's over already. That's supposed to be the difference. And, and it's, it's on me whether my, my words give life or my words are sucking life. It, my ministry is going to be judged by whether I'm giving life and pointing people to the source of life or whether I'm just sucking life and I'm, and I'm holding a raw, raw, let's get excited about Jesus kind of service. That's, that's what I'm going to be judged by. So let's look at uh, two different ways that you and I engage or interact with the Holy Spirit, two different times of life. 
when you first come to know God and then as you grow every day. So starting out with God will be the first one. We look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 for that. He says, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by faith? So receiving the Spirit is obviously when you first came to know the Lord, he's asking about. And he's saying, um, that new life that you got, did you do something to earn that life? Or was it just freely given to you when you heard the gospel and believed? And it's a rhetorical question because the obvious answer is it was freely given when you heard the gospel and believed. You were given the Holy Spirit. God responds to humble faith with the Holy Spirit. So anyone who has ever said, God, I am a sinner and I need you to forgive me, what was God's response? Yes, and here's my spirit. Yes, I will always, he will always respond with a yes when someone humbly asks him for a spirit. But what happens after that? How are we supposed to grow in the Christian life? How are we supposed to improve and increase in those good works that we've talked, we've talked about all the time? How are we supposed to gain victory over the power of sin? By the flesh? By trying harder? By, putting, by, by doing things? And the answer is always no. It must be. by the. In fact, Paul says you're an idiot if you think that. He says you're foolish to think that you could change yourself when you couldn't save yourself. And he says it's so much easier than that, guys. It's a gift of the Spirit. He gave you a gift of the Spirit when you first believed. You didn't do anything for that. And he gives you the same Spirit as a continual life source every day as we come to him. The problem is we drift away into self-sufficiency, and we're like, oh, I don't really know if God's going to meet me every day and supply the Spirit to me every day, and I really think I just need to get down and do the things, and, and we'll see how good I do. We'll see what happens. And then what happens? We fail over and over and over again, and then we end up with a, a mustache, and it's just a bad day. I just had to say something. I just looked over and saw your mustache, and it was... All its glory was just right in my face. <laughs> anyway, that was really random. <laughs> the design is that we bring all of our weakness directly to him. That's how we start out with the Lord, and that's how we continue with the Lord. It's so confusing to people when they say, oh, I became a Christian, now what do I do? And they get this message, okay, read your Bible, pray, go to church, stop doing all the things, start doing all these other things, and change everything about your life. Isn't that, wasn't that confusing when you, when you came to Jesus because you had no other options and you couldn't do anything, and so you came to Jesus saying, Jesus, save me, I'm a sinner. And then the next morning, everyone's like, oh, no, you're not that bad. You can do these things. No, we are so corrupted. We need Jesus for everything and every moment. And so the how should be the easiest question. How did you get saved? Oh, I just called out to the Lord and I, I just somehow believed that he was going to meet my every need and forgive me. And then the next morning we wake up and, and we think it's different, but it's not. We just wake up and say, Jesus, I need you again today. 
for these, all these other things. Like I want to serve you and I want to do because you put new desires in my heart. So I need you again and again and again. And Jesus says, that's what I'm going for. I wasn't going for save you and leave you alone and watch you struggle. I was going for save you and walk with me. Walk with me. This is so vital when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians, this next page, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, verse 18, verse 22, and verse 25. Look what it says when we read it like that. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 22, but, if the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Why do you think he uses the term walk so much? Because that's the best way to describe what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit and the life that God intends for us. Because it describes a daily relationship with the Holy Spirit. That is the whole point of the new covenant, is we get a daily opportunity to walk with and in the Holy Spirit, as opposed to walking in our self-sufficiency. Just imagine yourself going for a walk. You're either holding hands with the Holy Spirit, la di da di da or you're walking by yourself. Who wants to go on walks by themselves? Just weirdos, right? Just kidding. I like to go on walks by myself, but really it's with the Holy Spirit. Because I have weird thoughts in my mind. I am, I, my mind gets distracted. If I'm left to myself, it is just weirdness all the time. My mind goes places just a million miles an hour. I see a squirrel, and that's just all I'm thinking about. I was like, why do squirrels live in Colorado? Like, where do they go? Where do they sleep? How do they not freeze to death? I'm just, I can't focus. But walking with the Spirit is a totally different experience because I let Him lead the way of what I should talk about. What does it take to walk with the Spirit? Two legs, true. But two attitudes, we'll call them two legs. Hey, I like this. We're going to go there. The legs of of humility and faith. How about that? Hey, that's awesome. I'm going to get a tattoo. Humility, faith, right there. Walk in them. That would be awesome. There you go. There you go. No more syndrome. Okay. So humility and faith is what it takes to walk in the spirit. You, if you don't have humility, you're going to be walking in pride. And what happens, what does the Bible say happens when you walk in pride, George? Pride comes before fall. He told me that this morning because he was walking on the ice and he almost fell. So he was excited to tell me pride comes before fall. And if you don't walk in faith, you're, 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 you can't please God, and it's, you're, not, you're not even trusting in the Lord. So being led by the Spirit is a daily surrender to his guidance and his direction, um, as opposed to walking by the law saying, well, let me, let me try to figure out what I need to do and how I need to measure up. It's, it's walking by the Spirit, believing he has already done all the work, and I just need to abide in him, be submissive to him, surrender to his ways. And this is exactly what Jesus showed us in his life. He was led by the Spirit. So if we were like, man, I I, I like this whole idea of walking in the Spirit, but if I just had an example of someone who actually did this, well, praise the Lord, Jesus 
did this. Also, walking in the Spirit produces fruit. You know, Jesus is not... um, God is pleased with the fruit of our lives when we walk in the Spirit. You don't have to worry about what kind of fruit you're supposed to produce. Just walk with Him, and He will produce, He will source the, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Have you ever seen grafting? Uh, a tree that's grafted into another tree. It's literally something you can look up on the internet and farmers, I guess, do it. They've been doing it for thousands of years. The Bible talks about it. But what's the coolest thing is how they do grafting. So they'll take the tree, okay, and, and we'll say this is Jesus, the Jesus tree, okay, and they wound the tree. They cut it and they make a wound in it so that the sap or the blood or the life flows through it. And, and then they take you, the branch, and, and they'll, they'll cut the branch off from whatever tree it was on Okay, and they slap it onto the tree, and they just tie it up, and they do nothing. The, the branch doesn't do anything. He doesn't go to new believers class. He doesn't get baptized. I mean, he doesn't do anything. He just, like, stuck there. And they tie him up, creating an abiding relationship. And what happens? This, the life of this tree starts to flow into the branch and make his own life part of it. And after a while, they can untie it, and the the branch is literally just a part of the tree. And it's the same tree. It's the same life. And what's really crazy is they can graft like a pear tree onto an apple, a pear branch onto an apple tree, and it will produce apples, not pears. It will actually become part of the apple tree and produce the fruit that comes from the brand. It's just crazy. I don't know. This is some great example for us. So the Spirit is the one who produces this fruit for us and through us. We don't have to ever stress out about not producing fruit. What fruit? Remember the fruit where he says if you're, if you're what do he say? He said if you're, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and all the rest. Okay, the fruits of the spirit. If we, if you're thinking, I need to have this in my life. I should have self-control. I should be loving. I should be kind. The answer is not trying to source those ourselves, but it's saying, Jesus, I believe that you will produce this in me, and I need it. I confess with humility my need for this. So then he says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. In other words, he says. If new life came by the Spirit, if you came alive by the Holy Spirit, then just walk in that same life. So our daily walk is to the exact same as that new life that we had. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The word sanctification is a big church word, which we always talk about, which means being changed, the process of becoming more godly, more Christ-like in our life. And he says here, who does that? The Holy Spirit brings that sanctification into our life. Romans 8.4 says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. spirit. So he says... The righteous requirement of the law. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. There's nothing. They, every man should keep the Ten Commandments from the day they're born to the day they die. That's the requirement God has on it, on all men. But we fail, so we needed a sacrifice. Jesus did that. But 
he gives us the Spirit, and he says, now, if you have the Holy Spirit, you walk in the Holy Spirit, you will always keep the Ten Commandments. You have that ability. He says, the, and, and not necessarily even practically, outwardly, we might still fail, but he says, you are given credit as though you always kept the Ten Commandments. Did anyone sin this week? God does not see that in you. God sees you as perfect and holy, and it's free. It's free. What? That's right. It's a completely supernatural gift of God that he says, I know that you're going to struggle, but if you walk in my spirit, you're going to fulfill the requirements of the law. And even if you fail, you still get credit as if you did. That is awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. So what do we do when we sin then? If, if God already sees you as perfect and sinless through the, the lens of his son, the blood of Christ just drenching you, what do we do then when we sin? Yeah, we repent, which means we agree with God that we were wrong. And then we ask in humble dependence for the Holy Spirit to provide for us the life we should have been living. He was always there to do it. We were the ones who said, I don't need you right now. Watch me do this, God. It's like we're trying to ride a bike and we're like, let go. I can do this. And we just run him straight into a wall. That's right. Then we step forward in faith that God has answered that prayer. So we sin. Okay, we're a Christian. We sin. We, oh, I should not have done that, so I'm going to agree with God. I was wrong, he was right. His standard, I failed to measure up to it. And then I'm going to ask his spirit to fill me and transform me and strengthen me so that I can walk forward in his spirit. And then we simply walk, go on with your life, believing that he's going to answer that prayer. The problem is we so often don't believe that he's going to answer that prayer. We don't believe it. We believe he hears missionary prayers and pastor prayers, but he doesn't hear my prayer, and we've got to stop with the unbelief. We have to believe his word because he is faithful. Amen. So let's look at Jesus again. Remember I said Jesus was the example? We're going we're gonna to cruise through this. Matthew one twenty. Let's look at his life and how the Spirit was involved in his life. But while he taught about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived is her, in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, his life began being sourced by the Holy Spirit. And what's crazy is the Spirit waited till the time was right. He didn't just come and, and uh, whenever man thought he should come, he waited till the right time. Just like our spiritual life began with the, when the Holy Spirit said the time was right and we believed. Remember that? The moment we first believed. Matthew 3.16, when, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And this is a different time in Jesus' life, not the beginning of his life, but now this is the time where Jesus is being commissioned to go out and do ministry. Jesus did not go do any ministry until he was filled with the Holy Spirit to do it, till he was enabled and, and strengthened to do it. 
Okay? So you might come to know Jesus, but, and Jesus might have big plans for you, but we have to wait upon him and be filled with his spirit because we never want to step out ahead of him and say, all right, I'm supposed to be a pastor. I got saved three days ago, and I'm so excited to go be a pastor, and so here I go. It's going to be in the flesh if we do that as opposed to waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead us. Look at Matthew 3.16. When he'd been, or sorry, we just read that one, huh? Matthew 4.1. The next verse, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So as soon as Jesus set aside for ministry and commissioned, he was tested by the Holy Spirit. These are all different things that we're going to experience as well. He waited upon God and was not dependent on his own flesh. The Spirit led him out there. Jesus, I bet, was so excited to go start teaching. And, and, oh, I've been filled with the Spirit. I'm ready. i got a burden for people. I'm going to go to the cities and teach. And the Holy Spirit was like, wait. I can do more through you if you wait than if you go out in your own flesh. Now, this has Tremendous application for us. Does, am I going to sit up here and ask you guys all to go do more things for Jesus? Or are we going to just wait together for his spirit to work in our hearts? That's going to be the plan. We're going to wait. Let's look at what the Old Testament says about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 11, there, there shall come forth a, a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow from his roots. This is Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus did a lot of ministry. He did a lot of wonderful supernatural things, and he did them all by the Holy Spirit. Hey, I want to have the spirit of the Lord. I want to be wise. I want to have understanding and be able to counsel people and have might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. How are those things going to be developed in my life? by waiting for the Spirit to rest on me. Notice the words he uses, rest. Isn't that a crazy word? Usually when you think of religion, you think of works, working hard, doing good works. And here he says the way to like, get empowered is to rest and let God rest upon you. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, is Jesus talking, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, and he sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So Jesus says, the Spirit is working in me, and the Spirit always acts the same way. Do you see how he he mentions some of the character traits of the Holy Spirit here? He says he's going to be gentle and he's going to be compassionate. He's going to be freeing and liberating. It's going to be good news and supply of resources to every sinner. In other words, when you feel a burden of sin upon you, who is that from? It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's from a different spiritual entity. When you feel a condemnation, that is not from the Holy Spirit. That's from a different spirit named Satan. He loves to have you feel condemnation and the chains and I can't get free and I can't get out. That is from him. The Holy Spirit always says things like, you are free, I am gentle, I am compassionate on you. I'm not asking you to do any of the work. I'm asking you to humble yourself and trust me. 
That's how the Holy Spirit leads. And we need to learn, are we walking in that or are we listening to other voices? When you go for a walk, you meet with your wife, maybe you hold her hand so that, so that you guys don't drift apart, right? At least I do, because I'm, I'm my wife always complains because I'm a crooked walker. I'm all, I like walk in random directions. I'll see something on the ground and just step around it, and all of a sudden I'm like way far away. From my wife, she's like, hello, why are you so far away from me? Anyway, it's a lot like Jesus. <laughs> all right. So I'm gonna, we're going to talk about one other topic right now called the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Luke, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him and are super, super, super good? Is that what it said? No. He says, ask. You're, as a child depends on his father for good and, and, and what they need, we are to depend on God for the Holy Spirit for all of our needs and everything that we want. And asking is crazy because it's a humble attitude. If you're going to ask for something, it's because not that you expect it or demand it. You're asking, saying, I believe that you're good. I believe that you're going to give this to me. And then depending on the goodness of God, he's much more than an earthly father. Uh, it says he will supply. He contrasts what we know that a father will generally provide for the needs of his kid. He says, I am so much better. So we ask in faith in God's character. That's why we know that we're going to get the Holy Spirit. That's why we know we have the Holy Spirit. It's because we've asked in that way. Look at John seven thirty seven. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, out of, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Come to me, Jesus said. This is the avenue that the Holy Spirit flows through, coming to Jesus in humble faith. He says, anyone who thirsts, that is the only requirement. Are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Is there an insatiable desire or felt need inside you that you need him? This is required. You know what makes us thirsty? The law. The law is what makes us thirsty. The law is what makes us feel our need. Oh, crud, I should not have done that. Oh, I don't measure up to that standard. Oh, I don't measure up to that standard. That's why we need the law in our life. It's like drinking salt water. It does not refresh us. It makes us more thirsty. If you drink too much, and it'll kill you, right? It's dangerous. So, he says, I will meet that need, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. But you have to have, you have to feel that need. You have to say, I need you, God. That's the basis of this relationship. Us 
coming to God with our need, him meeting our need through the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit, again, provides power for ministry. Remember, Jesus waited for the Holy Spirit because he didn't want to step out and do things in his own flesh and in his own power. Here we it's promised that the Holy Spirit will give us power for the ministry. And then we can bear witness to the risen life of Jesus, not by our own strength, but in his power. We should never feel like we have to convince someone to become a Christian. But yet we should always be out there sharing our faith with whoever we come in contact with, sharing about Jesus, sharing boldly, but not in our own wisdom or strength, but through the Holy Spirit. And no matter where ministry takes you or what form ministry takes, there can only be one source. It must be the Holy Spirit. Me saying, God, I need you for this. And God saying, I got you, bro. I got you, fam. I got to translate to millennial over here. But... Acts 2.4. We're just journeying now through the book of Acts to see what... what the Bible teaches about the Spirit and the relationship of the early church with the Spirit. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The ability to try to communicate God's truth to the people of this world was a supernatural gift of the Spirit. Not us trying to figure out how to reach the world. Hey, there's a crazy group of people that we don't understand and they don't understand us. How are we going to figure out how to reach these people? God says, stop thinking that way. Instead, come to me, be filled with my spirit, ask, and watch me give a gift to you. Watch me open the doors. Watch me do the miracles. Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, so they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Again, what was their strategy? They prayed. And what was the power that came? The Holy Spirit. They had no other strategy except God deliver us. God do this. My friends, are we praying? I've been deeply convicted about my own prayerlessness and sinfulness in my own life. And I've been, the Lord has been doing a transforming work in my own heart over the past, I don't know, whatever, long time. But even recently, Are we praying or are we doing things on our own? There is only those two options. We either are praying and coming to the Lord or we are walking in our own strength. Ephesians 5.18 Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, which is a big fancy word for waste, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a command to all the children of God. Be filled with the Spirit. And that word is really strange in the Greek. It's a strange sounding sentence because in Greek it says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So did you get filled with the Spirit when you first believed? Yes. Can you be subsequently filled with the Spirit daily? Yes. So which one was it? Yes. Yes. I just, yes. Yes and amen. That's right. 
We don't have to understand it, but we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it, was a, it was a point in time in our life where we showed dependence on God and said, I need your spirit, but it's also a daily life that looks like I need you, God, and I depend on your Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? We never grow out of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I've, I've, I'm in size large Holy Spirit pants now, and I've grown out of my mediums. And No, it's... It's just the Holy Spirit. He's one size fits all. Flex fit, you know? You can never be too filled with the Holy Spirit. You can never be too dependent on God. Okay, this is actually something that happens in this world. I, I get people have told me in my life, you trust in God too much. <laughs> and I'm like, What? I've had pastors tell me as I, when I was going through something tough and I was trusting in the Lord during this tough thing I was going through. They're like, bro, you don't, need to, you don't need to trust God that much. You can step forward in your own strength and do this thing. And when I said, no, I don't want to do that, that was, this was a great victory in my life where God was giving me faith. I didn't source this faith. God's Spirit sourced faith in me during a hard time in my life where I was able to trust him, even when people were saying, you, don't, you shouldn't trust him that much. Boy, I can't take credit for that, but God sourced it and it did, it did glorify God. I know that. You know? Be filled with the Spirit is our command. Let's look at the next verse in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Paul's praying for his church and he said, if he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the, length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is it all about to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean when I'm walking in the Spirit? It means I have this unbelievable, impossible knowledge that God loves me. That's what it's all about. And if it's about anything else, we're screwed up in the way that we're thinking. Being filled with this Holy Spirit is not about all the power that you get, even though there is power. It is about whether your dark and hard heart is somehow being penetrated with the love of God. Is that happening in your life? Are we believing in the love of God? That's our prayer. That's what we need to pray for ourselves, for our church, and for our world. That the love of God would be all that we are obsessed with. He says here that we might know the width, the length, the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You can't even know it, but we should know it. You can't know it, but we are commanded to know it. How is this possible? Who is sufficient for these things? Only a gift of the supernatural Holy Spirit can make this happen. All right, we're going to end with three warnings about the Holy Spirit. Okay? Acts 7.51 
Stephen is dying, he's being stoned, and he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So we learn here that the Holy Spirit can be resisted. It can be resisted. Uh, We do this through unbelief. We do this through unbelief and pride. James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 2 says, God gives grace to the humble, and grace we're seeing today is the same as the Holy Spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit to the humble, but he resists the proud. So you want to resist him? You want to resist this way of the Holy Spirit? Then God will resist you. Isn't that crazy? We're not doing this another way, God says. You are going to humbly ask for the Holy Spirit and be filled with my Spirit and walk with him, or we have nothing to do with each other. And I don't think you want that when it comes to the end. I don't think you want that now in your life. You want to be with me. You need me. But we're not doing this another way. Only humility and only faith is all that we can bring, but it is what God demands and requires from us. So we can resist him. Ephesians 4.30, the second warning, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here we see the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He is a person. He's not some uncaring supernatural force of metachlorines. He is God and he can be grieved. And again, what does it say about faith? It is impossible to please God without faith. That means if we live without faith, it displeases and grieves God. He's like, I am here for you. I am, I'm there. I am sufficient, and I will provide everything for you. Why won't you trust me? It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And I've been in a, in a relationship where, the, 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 where I wasn't trusted, and, and someone who was supposed to be devoted to me and, and faithful to me left and, and went off to other people, and it hurt deeply. It grieved me. And God allowed me to go through that process so that I can feel what he feels daily with me. When my heart abandons him, when I choose not to live by faith but to live by self Sufficiency. God is like, no, oh, that hurts so much. I'm so for you. I wish you knew how much I loved you, because then that would produce faithfulness in our relationship. The last verse we have is First Thessalonians five nineteen. Do not quench the spirit. So here we see the Holy Spirit can be quenched. If we if we create an atmosphere in our life or our church of pride, it will, it will be a killer to the spirit-filled and spirit-led ministry in life. I want to change everything about our church service on Sundays. I really do. Not because we do things wrong, but because I think all of us need a very clear reminder daily that we are not here just to do the things. We're here to meet with God. And, you know, it it starts with me and it goes to all the people who are on the worship team and all of you, we want to have a meeting with God through the Holy Spirit. He's already said he'll do it with us. 
He said the answer is going to be yes if we come to him and ask him. But we think so often that we know and that we were sufficient. And, and if we just do what we know, that that's what it's all about. Just go to church, sing some songs, pray a little bit, study the Bible a lot, that that's what God is looking for. But he's not looking for that. He is looking for a personal relationship. Okay? So that's our time in the Word today. We're going to come up and sing some songs. But we're not just going to sing songs, right? We're going to have a meeting with God through the Holy Spirit. So during this time, do not look at your phones because God's not in your phones. Do not look at your watch because God's not in your watch. You can look at Nathan's mustache, but only envy. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Would you guys all stand with me? We're going to stand and... and, uh, I want you all to close your eyes with me. And during this, this time, I, I want us to do something. Again, I don't ask for this very often, but I think it's really cool. Just put your hands out like this and then close your eyes back up after you've looked at what I'm doing. Because I don't want anyone to feel, I don't want anyone to feel weird that, that they're doing something weird. You're just holding your hands out, okay? But this is how a child comes to their father. This is a very humble position where we're standing and we're saying, I want to receive from you, God. And we're going to pray and we're going to sing in this position. We don't, you don't have to hold it forever. And I know we're going to get tired and our elbows hurt and stuff. But Father, we come to you right now and we are, are very needy. We've been wrong. We've sinned so much. But we just pray that you would send down your Holy Spirit, pour on us, like rain, your glory. Like the snow covered our entire city yesterday and we woke up and it was just pure white, we pray that you would do that in our hearts and you would fill us with your spirit. You would meet our every need. Father, some of us have been hurting for a long time because of what people have done to us. Father, we open our hands to receive your healing. Father, some of us have been turning to idols and sin for a long time, constantly falling and going back to the same thing over and over and over. Father, we open our hands and ask you to fill us with your spirit to change our hearts. We can't make commitments that we're never going to do it again, but we can receive your promise that you will transform us. Jesus, some of us in here, have been walking with you and delighting in you and rejoicing in all that you have done for us and walking in faith. Lord, we want more. We open our hands. Please control us and pour out miracles in our life and do resurrection miracles in our family and open up doors for ministry, Father. Lord, some of us have been holding on to our life, our possessions, our riches, our, our jobs, our families. We've been holding on with our hands just tightly clasped on those things. And God, we want to open up our hands again and give up everything in exchange for your spirit. 
you say that unless someone gives up all that they have, they cannot be your disciple. Jesus, we want to choose to be your disciples. We want to open up our arms to you and ask that you to fill us with your spirit. God, some of us, sin just dominates our life. Save us, please. Transform us. Give us your spirit. Some of us don't feel valuable. Lord, we receive the most valuable thing in the world into our hearts, your spirit, which changes who we are at our very core and gives us value that is limitless and infinite. And Jesus, we, I pray that every single person in here would feel your love in the deepest part of who they are. They would know that God cherishes them and loves them. 